Welcome to the Book Squad Podcast. 94% bookish banter, 6% shenanigans. From Lawrence Public Librarians, Kate Gramlich and Polly Kim. Welcome to the Book Squad podcast. Yeah, yeah. We uh, have a special episode for y'all today. Um, very special episode. Very special episode. Mm-hmm. Um, we got to talk to Dara Horn, um, who is a uh, just, just an all-around amazing lady. She was fantastic. Oh, my goodness. You she were in for a treat. Yeah. Tell them, tell them the particulars. So, Dara Horn, um, she's got a... She had her PhD in comparative literature from Harvard, uh, Mm. studying Hebrew and Yiddish. Mm -hmm. She's written five novels and one nonfiction uh, work. Um, She's won. She's won. She's won a lot of things. We can just link you to her (laughs) website. But um, she's multiple-time National Jewish Book Award winner um, for several of her novels. And same goes with um, the Booklist Best Books winners. So she's. She's well-loved, and oh, my God, it was just... I'm so excited for you guys to listen to I this. I know. I am, too, because she was just, like, crazy smart so and smart. but incredibly generous. Like, you will get to know her really well, yeah. I think, in this interview. And she's got some really great book recommendations for all ages, really. So um, so listen up and Enjoy. Enjoy. So, um, okay, well, then I am going to go first because go I'm going to ask what I'm always interested in about authors. Uh, what kind of books did you read as a kid? Oh, wow. Um, <laughs> well, I've actually had an opportunity to revisit a lot of the books I read as a child since I have four children. And so I've been oh, yeah. sharing a lot of those books with oh. them. Um, and I do find that a lot of my novels, I, and I never thought about this before my kids got old enough to read um, and to, or for me to share these, you know, longer books with them. But now that I am, uh, you know, my kids are like full on in like, you know, chapter book mode, yeah. I have made this horrifying discovery, which is that I think that all of my books are like rewritten adult versions of <laughs> books that I loved when I was a child. <laughs> so like, 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 like what? Yeah. oh, like, you know, like I wrote a book about a theft of a painting in a museum and mm-hmm. whether, whether it's a forgery or not. And then I'm like rereading from the mixed up files to Mrs. Basil and Frank Filer to my kids. <laughs> like, Wait a second. And like, yeah. And then like, you know, I wrote, um, I, I wrote a novel that involved uh, a, a software developer who gets kidnapped in mm-hmm. post-revolutionary Egypt. And, but it's, you know, it's about this kidnapping. And then I reread one of my favorite books as a child, which I hadn't thought of in, you know, 30 years, which was a book by Zilpha Keatley Snyder called this famous Stanley kidnapping case, which is oh. about this children who get, get kidnapped in another country where they're visiting as tourists. And I was just like, so it was, like and it kept happening i feel like there's so many books that and so of course for this book i'm thinking you know i revisited tuck everlasting mm. which was you know another book that i loved as a child oh and, my gosh. you know this whole idea of you know death being the thing that makes life worth living and i'm sort of like wow i'm just really not that original am i original, but yeah, yeah. That's those awesome. Were, were some of, yeah, those, it was just bizarre. I mean, those are some of my favorite books as a child. And then also some other books that I loved as a child were sort of like two different types of book. One is um, the kind of puzzle mysteries where you there's some sort of um, weird crime or situation that the characters sort of slowly figure out. So something like um, Ellen Raskin's The Westing Game. Mm-hmm. Um, that was a book I loved. Um, or... Um, 
Also, those other books by Zelda Keatley Snyder, like the Egypt game was a little bit like that. Um, and the other sort of genre of books I loved as a child were the um, historical um, historical fiction, or which often I learned were based on the author's life. So, yeah. um, you know, one... There were two series, which actually I remember as a child feeling like were very similar to each other, although on the surface they weren't. One was um, Sidney Taylor's All the Kind Uh Family books, Uh which were about this Jewish family living on the Lower East Side in New York in the turn of the last century. And then the other series was by uh, an author named John D. Fitzgerald, and it was a series called The Great Brain, and it was about a Catholic family living at the turn of the last century in Mormon, Utah. And like, uh-huh. I don't know, it was something about, uh-huh. yeah, it, was, it sort of seems to be a pattern in my tastes. Well, were you, um, did, did you ever uh, like solve your own mysteries as a kid, or do were you a puzzle kid? I was not, like, I was not kidnapped, or, I, oh, I thought you meant like, oh, I thought you meant like, what, what did I have these experiences? Or you just mean in general about just, puzzles? Yes, like, mm-hmm. yeah. Did you sleuth I out mean, anything cool? No, I was not. I, I mean, I attempted to be Harriet the Spy and sure. like walk around with notebooks yeah, and things, absolutely. which is something I still do, right. but you know, never, never like discovered any crimes. Um, that pro- only happened as an adult. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's too bad. I did the same, and not one time did I, I ever find anything cool. Yeah, right? it no. was so boring, right? You never saw, and you never overheard anything interesting at all. No, right? I would spy on my parents. I didn't understand what they were talking about, and I was like, "Well, this is not how the books go." <laughs> Man. Or you understand it, it's just like not that interesting, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> now it's about someone's taxes or something. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so you uh, have a very creative family. Um, you've got your brother as an animator, and your sisters are also novelists, correct? Um, yes. Well, well, one of my sisters is a journalist. Okay. Who does right. you know, a lot of writing for a lot of different sources. Um, and my other sister published a novel and now just sold a children's book. That's awesome. So, and then, yeah, my brother is an animator who he's actually won two Emmys for his work. Nice. I have a question about that in a little bit, but um, when, when did you know that you were going to kind of be creative for a living or how did you know that that was your call? Well, I had no idea that this is something really people could do for a living. Mm -hmm. Like I I did not, um, I don't, I mean, yeah, my parents are both uh, do. Um, neither of my parents work in creative fields. Um, my <laughs> father's a dentist. My mom is a public school teacher. But my mother, though, was first of all extremely creative public school teacher. She mm-hmm. kept winning awards for the oh. for, you know like the uh, best public school teacher in the state. Oh, that's awesome. And um, another thing that happened with my mother was that she um, she was teaching middle school and she always had her students enter the scholastic writing contest. Do you mm-hmm. know what this is? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean it's like, you know, Truman Capote won and Sylvia Plath <laughs> yeah, won and yeah. it's sort of like, you know, it's a projector of future American yeah. writers. <laughs> yeah, it is. And what's funny about it is that my mother my mother's students won this contest and I I think it had not really ever happened before that there were um repeat winners from the same oh teacher. My yeah. My mother's students won the contest at the national level. Like you know, Holy they won cow. like the national award every single year that she taught them for nineteen years. Oh my god. And goodness. at the end of that nineteen years <laughs> Scholastic gave my mother an award. I would hope so. Oh, that's wonderful. (laughs) Oh, my God. So, you know, and my mother also is a painter. I mean, sort of is, is, um, you know, like, but as a hobby, not, you know, something that she did professionally. So, you know, so it's, you know, well, but, but neither of my parents were, so, you know, both my parents had creative instincts, um, but neither of them were doing this like as a job or, or, Mm -hmm. you know, (laughs) in any way. 
Um, and so that was something I never saw before. I mean, I never met anyone who was a published writer yeah. until I think college. I remember like being in college and meeting someone who's parent had published a book and buying the book even though it was a topic that had had no interest to me but I was just like I know this person it was like (laughs) that was how distant I was from this world of publishing like I just didn't know anybody like that um so um it never occurred to me until I was a teenager that this was something you could pursue but I mean I was writing since I was a very young child and we could talk more about that or more about (laughs) <laughs> whatever, yeah, whatever interests you. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, uh, what what did you write as a very young child? <laughs> okay, so I, I when I was growing up, I had this irrational—not irrational, but uh, a fear that probably most children don't have, but maybe adults often do, which is I was very worried about days disappearing. And what I mean by that is like very, very like viscerally, I felt this like that at the end of the day, I would get into bed and be like, this day has ended. Where did it go? Yeah. And just feeling this sense of like life really like and not even life, but time Mm -hmm. being something that was inaccessible to people and really having that disturb me so deeply as a child. And I don't know why or where that sentiment came from. Well, because it's terrifying and true. (laughs) Yes, well, it's terrifying and true, but, you know, I think it's probably something a lot of people don't really think about. No, not as a kid, yeah. Later in life. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, So I I don't really have an easy answer for, like, why this was something that obsessed me, but it really did. And um, I remember sort of thinking of writing as a way of solving this problem. Uh Uh-huh, okay. Right, and thinking of, you know, if you recorded things, then that was a way of, like, capturing time. And, you know, so, you know, I think a lot of kids keep, like, diaries and journals, except that, you know, the reason I was doing it wasn't because I was, you know, exploring my own emotions or something. Like, I was not interested in my own emotions. (laughs) I'm still really not that interested, but I just, my emotions are just not that interesting. Um, But I think I had this, this sense of, of, you know, needing to capture these moments that disappeared and not Mm -hmm. even like special moments, really just anything. And that's Mm -hmm. why even with Harry the Spy, I mean, keeping these notebooks, you know, a lot of what I was writing in these journals or notebooks was, you know, just like things, it wasn't even things that happened to me. It was like Mm -hmm. things that happened to other people or things Mm -hmm. I heard about or, um, games that I would play with a friend. Actually, uh, um, I remember talking about this with uh, my best friend as a child who I'm still very close with, um, who also now is a, a, a well-known writer, oh, um, Elif Batuman. Uh, she's yeah. a staff writer oh, at the New Yorker. Nice. She's published, a, yeah, she's yeah. published a couple books. Um, yeah, so she's a, quite an accomplished, uh, quite an accomplished writer now. And she and I have been friends since we were six years old. And when we were six, I remember I just telling her about this problem, and basically she said, "Oh, there's a way we can fix that." Oh. I read an article in a children's magazine about something called a time capsule. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> That's you know, where yeah. you can put this yeah. in a shoebox yeah. and bury it and say, oh, yeah. and, you know, I, I was extremely confused by this and thought like <laughs> capsule, space capsule, like yeah, why exactly. don't we yeah. just travel in the space capsule through outer space and then... Yeah, so that was what we ended up doing. We created this game where we were traveling through outer space in a time capsule, and then we would record all of our adventures in outer space. And those are those documents were what we put in the shoebox for future generations to discover. But of course, future generations were not that interested. (laughs) Um, So this is how I started out writing as a child. Oh, really? This desire to you know. 
preserve time. So you did solve mysteries. It was just the mystery of time. <laughs> right. The mystery of human existence yeah. caught in a, uh, a linear uh, three-dimensional world. <laughs> well, I um, fixed that. <laughs> well, job, I'm, I'm fine. Like, I mean, this is a this is a theme through all of your books mm-hmm. now. So, yes. Um, yes. So why don't you tell us about your latest book? Okay, sure. So you're correct that this is a theme in all my books. I mean, all my books really are essentially about time. Like I consider Mm -hmm. that to really, in a sense, be my subject. Um, My newest novel is called Eternal Life. And it's about a woman who can't die. And, you know, this is not a very original idea. You know, I mean, yes, it was a tuck everlasting, but not just tuck everlasting, right? I mean, it was in like the epic of Gilgamesh, mm-hmm. right? I mean, this is sort of one of the oldest literary themes is this idea of immortal characters mm-hmm. or a quest for immortality. But if you look at sort of these other, other stories, both recent and ancient about immortal characters, you at least I noticed that they're they're never about fertile women. Mm-hmm. Right, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And I sort of started wondering why. <laughs> and um, so my main character has been married 45 times. Mm-hmm. You know, she's had hundreds and hundreds of children, um, all of whom she outlives, which of course makes mm-hmm. immortality considerably less entertaining. Mm-hmm. And there's also one other character in the book who's in the same situation that she's in, which is sort of like if you ever had the experience of having that bad high school boyfriend or girlfriend who never gets the hint, (laughs) never goes away, never leaves you alone. And, you know, imagine that they really never go away. Yeah, Yeah, they're like stalking you for like 2,000 years. Mm. So that's that's sort of the, the situation that the characters are in. And the way they get into this situation is because of a vow that they each took in an ancient temple in Jerusalem during uh, the the Jewish revolt against Rome. So that's sort of the outline of the of the story as it as it begins when we meet this character. And basically, she's been alive for a very long time and is basically ready to call it quits, but doesn't have a way of doing that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And we we both obviously love the book. So we thank you. Yeah, yeah. I'm very excited. Yeah, I read it. it. I read it back in October when it was a advanced reader copy. And I just I brought it with me on a plane. And I was the it was the first time I was ever sad that the flight was over because I wasn't I wasn't done yet. And I had a thing to go do. So um, yeah, it was incredible. You captured time for that moment. Yeah. Oh, thank you. It really did. Well, um, how how did you plot the two thousand year timeline? <laughs> did you have like a like a family tree that sort of uh, you know like spans the entire room? Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, you know, when I realized what the premise was, so I should say that I don't plan my books in advance at all. Oh. I mean, I really am writing them the way that a person might read them. Like, I want to know what happens next. Um, I'm in as as much suspense as you are and probably a lot more because my suspense (laughs) is also mixed with anxiety of like, oh my God, what the heck am I going to do to get these, you know, to extract people from a situation or to continue the story. Um, so I, yeah, I don't plan them at all. Um, but in terms, so there, so yeah, there was no idea of like sort of sketching out this person's life. And then, but I will say that also, um, when I realized what I was, you know, I, when I, came up with the concept of the premise and started writing the story, um, it really came to me sort of in the order that you find it in the book. Mm. And um, 
you know, I meet the second immortal character the same time that you met him in chapter mm. two. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, all, you know, yeah, I, sort of, I, I, I did have an idea of like, you know, how they got into the situation. Mm-hmm. That was sort of a little bit in the back of my mind. Um, but, but I, I realized at that point that there was something that I could have done, which would have been like a kind of a movie of the week type of approach <laughs> to the book where it's like, you know, we walk you through each century and we're mm-hmm. like, you know, on the, on the carousel of progress here where we mm-hmm. like, you know, here we are in ancient Rome and now we're in Byzantium. And you know, <laughs> I, mean, I, I mean, I could have done that, but I just like, I wasn't interested in that. Right. And yeah. I also sort of felt, you know, if I'm not interested in that, then the reader won't be either. But it, it wasn't just that. It's also that, you know, this woman is experiencing life the way you experience it, right? So it's just a lot longer. So, you know, her, you know, these elements from her past come back to her as memories summoned by the present, right? Which is the same way you experience your past, right? I mean, you don't think about your life thinking, well, you know, first I was born and then, you know, I lived in this place and then my family moved to this place. And then I, you know, and then I went to high school and then, you know, you don't think about the the trajectory of your life in that way. Right. I mean, in a linear way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Right. I mean, like, you know, nobody thinks of lives that way unless they're, you know, writing an obituary or biography or something (laughs) like, I mean, that's just not the way we experience our lives. Right. Yeah. You experience your life, you know, in a linear progression through, through time, but, the way you experience the meaning of that life is by reimposing meaning on the memories that you have based on the present that you're experiencing now. Absolutely. Um, so, you know, it's, you know, your, your memories don't work in a, in a linear fashion. So these moments from her past come to her as they're prompted by the things she's experiencing now. And they, you know, so you have sort of, there are two timelines in the book though, right? Cause there's, mm-hmm. yeah. you meet her in the present where she's living with her current family in contemporary America. Um, and then you meet her is sort of, bef- you know, in this, the, events Her leading up to life. this situation yeah. right yeah. exactly in ancient jerusalem so you know so there are these two timelines going on in that sense so just in terms of the plot those two timelines are interacting and intersecting um but you know you don't sort of go on a journey with her through 2000 years right. you go on a journey with her in her you know in her daily life mm-hmm. in her mind and basically in this current moment in the contemporary america where she is basically su- very suddenly confronted with the possibility that um, you know, that technology and science have evolved to the point where maybe there's a way out of this. Yeah. 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 Well, and it's, I mean, I think it's incredible because it's uh, historical fiction that reads, to, I mean, it was very, I couldn't put it down. Mm-hmm. Like it was right. very unput downable, <laughs> which oh, is, you. you can't always say that about all historical fiction, but it, um, it definitely like, you know you are there and you are like what is about to happen next because you were actually like that you were like what am I going to write next we we feel we feel your uh, urgency to to figure out what's happening so also I mean I care a lot about plot right so I mean I'm not going to give you a story that's like a slice of life Mm because that doesn't interest like I don't even like reading books like that I mean so you know there's a murder there's a you know there's all you know there's all kinds of uh you know Buildings burned to the ground, cities yeah. burned to the ground. You know, there's there's a lot of action in the book. <laughs> there is. So I'm interested. So Rachel's voice is really strong and she's very wise. And it was really amazing to kind of live in her head. And I'm wondering how much of Rachel is in you and vice versa. Um, and like, do you think you could have written Rachel before you had kids? I would say no. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, as I mentioned, I have 
other novels that are about things like art heists and mm-hmm. kidnappings. I have another book that's about Civil War spies. Mm-hmm. I'm not a very autobiographical writer. <laughs> um, you know, I never was writing those journals about my emotions, and I'm still not doing that now. <laughs> uh, that's just not you know what interests me about yeah. literature. Um, but this is weirdly, it's strangely because it's got this supernatural premise, which my other books don't have. Even though it has the supernatural premise, this is my most autobiographical book. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the reason for that is, as you say, I mean, you know, I, you know, Rachel and I do have, oh, I feel a lot in common. While I don't have four hundred children, I do have four, which <laughs> which probably feels of, like four hundred. <laughs> yes, it really does. It really does. I mean, mm-hmm. look, I mean, there's situations where one or two would feel like four hundred. <laughs> I mean, I think, you know, no matter how many children you have, they take up all of your time. Um, But there's something that happens, though, when you're in a larger family where time doesn't really pass. It just kind of repeats. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, it's like, you know, you make lunch and then you make lunch and you make lunch again. And it's like for decades. Right. You know, I know parents like to say, like, yeah. Right. I mean, and, and, you know, and and also like those kind of this. I started writing this book at a point where um uh, friends of mine who had one or two children who were the ages of my older children mm-hmm. were starting to get like all nostalgic about like oh look he's growing up so fast you know look he's in middle school blah blah you know and I was like okay that's good for you but like I'm still in preschool I, yeah yeah right you know, I mean, it's sort of like you know we, like, I had you know this thing about it going by so fast I mean like 10 and a half continuous years of changing diapers. Like I just did not have that experience of it going by so fast. You know, like I'm going to be the tooth fairy, like until my own teeth start falling out. So, you know, there's this sort of like perpetualness to it. And actually this book is, it's, this book is dedicated to my parents and Mm -hmm. their 14 grandchildren. Holy wow. Like eight of whom are eating dinner at their house on any given day. Oh my goodness. Incredible. you know, I remember once asking my mom if this was true, like what people say that raising children goes by so fast. And my mom just looks at me like, like I'm stupid and says, it's interminable. Yeah. So I do think like, you know, that experience of like sort of this, this sort of endlessness of one's obligations to others. And I think that's really also what, what distinguishes this from other books about immortal characters. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because something about, you know, being a, a woman raising children um, and, you know, today it could be about a man, too. But, you know, for most of the past 2000 years, that wasn't true. Oh, right. um, you know, I think there's something about, you know, your life really being less about ambition than about obligation. Right. You know, and for you know most of history, most women's lives have been shaped by that sense of obligation to others. I mean, and obviously there are plenty of men's lives that probably have felt that way as well, but something about that sort of very physical, you know, caring for others on this daily basis, like, you know, this sort of very visceral caring, you know, um, you know, being responsible for the vulnerability of other people's bodies is something that I brought to this book. Yeah. I really, I have, I have three kids and mine are, now on the other end, um, my youngest is 17. And so um, I'm... And you live to tell the tale. <laughs> I did, as a matter of fact. Um, but as you said, I mean, there's still some, there's still some interminable things that are, <laughs> like, that are going on. I still need to deal um, with this. Yeah. And uh, yeah, no, I, so I, this book just really, I mean, in a lot, on a lot of levels, but that really resonated with me where all of those concepts and um, now with my kids sort of on the other side and being ready to launch and having one having already launched, um, 
and just you made it like this really sort of just rung a bell inside of me. Um, so yeah, well, on the idea of launching, whether it works or not. I mean, <laughs> mm-hmm. One thing I put in this book is uh, in her current family. This woman is, you know, her family thinks she's like, you know, eighty something, uh-huh. and of course, her her fifty five year old son has moved back into her yeah. basement. <laughs> yeah, so that's there's the interminable obligation for you right there. Right? Right. Oh my <laughs> sort gosh, sort of like every parent's nightmare, right? <laughs> yeah, I liked that the that concept that you know she was like, I gotta get this kid straightened out before I before, yeah. Before, before I, I move on, right. you know, my yeah. kid who's yeah, fifty five. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, so the thing that I really like, and I don't want to give anything away for the um, for towards the end, but I I really like the way that like women's roles were commented on throughout time, and you were and you were saying like um, instead of being ambition, it's sort of a sense of obligation. Uh, do you? How did how did how did you write that into the book or? Um, like I guess, give me some, give me your thoughts on, on how that's changed, maybe. Well, how that's changed now? Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. I don't want to give away anything in the book, but like, <laughs> uh, okay. you know, yeah. I mean, a lot of her life for the two thousand years was very similar, and then, uh, and then, sort of towards the very yeah. end. Um, maybe you, it's a it, commentary on yes, that. The rap shows how yes. much. Yeah, yeah, but and things have yes. changed sort of more recently, more rapidly than any other time. Yes. Well, right. So, um, you know, I mentioned earlier that, you know, there's what, you know, the telling the story of the, con- the, the telling the, her, the contemporary story of mm-hmm. what's happening in her life is very much related to that science, you know, that science and technology have evolved to the point where she has reason to, I know I'm not going to give anything away, but that she has mm-hmm. reason to believe that there might be a way out of this for her. Um, but the other way that things have changed and suddenly everything is different for her is that suddenly she as a woman ha- may have opportunities mm-hmm. that she hasn't ever had, ever had before. Um, you know, one yeah, very tiny detail about that is that there's, and this uh, is mentioned earlier in the book, so it's not giving anything away, is mm-hmm. that um, there's a, a moment where um, in ancient Jerusalem, her 12-year-old son, like, does a household chore for her. Yeah. And she's, like, astonished yeah. and, like, doesn't even understand, like, why right. is he doing this? And, yeah. and then there's, and, and I think it, it says in the book, you know, that, you know, this is, you know, the first time any man had ever did a household chore for her. And it was something that wouldn't be repeated for another 2,000 years. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Was, she had to wait another 2,000 years until a man did a household chore for her. Uh, yeah. um, you know, so there is this sort of, yes, there is there is change that happens very rapidly um, at the end of the book without giving anything away. And, you know, that was something that you know, it was exciting to me as I was, you know, telling the story of this woman, because of course, a lot of it is, you know, there's a sense that she, she can't change. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, and it's funny that you said she's this very wise woman. I'm actually, I don't know that she is so wise. Right. Because, <laughs> and you know, cause there have been readers also who have said to me, you know, it's like, you know, why is she so stupid? She keeps making the same mistakes <laughs> over and over again. And, you know, my answer to that is like, well, she's 18. Yeah. 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 Right. Absolutely. Like mentally she's 18. Oh, right. I mean, especially like in her relationship with this man, this other immortal man, it's like, they basically are both are like kind of like a pair of idiots together. Mm. Like they're both like, yeah, like they're both like eight, yeah. yeah, they're both 18. I mean, and that's sort of the problem with them being together is that they, I mean, they never can change. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, but the people, they can affect change in other people, but they, they themselves really can't change. Right. I mean, because, they don't have and they don't have an arc to their lives. Mm. 
That's actually, that's deep. Or they have many, <laughs> many, well, many arcs. Right. Yeah. Well, right. But I mean, there's, there is a moment where she sort of says to him, like, you know, we're, we're like an old book, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And people read us and interpret us in different ways. And every person who reads yes. us interprets us a different way. But the people reading us change, but we don't. Right. And this is actually an idea that I got from the Jewish tradition because um, in Judaism, we read the Torah, right? The first mm-hmm. five books of mm-hmm. Moses, we read, it's read publicly every, you know, uh, on a weekly schedule where like a section of it is read every week mm-hmm. until you get to the end of the book at the end of the year and then you start it again. So you read the entire book mm-hmm. out loud every year. And I remember when I was a child being like, well, this is stupid, right? Because it's like, why are we reading this? Like, you know, like, I'm not, like, it's just, right, like, I'm not in suspense. Like, gee, I wonder, is Abraham going to kill Isaac? Like, I don't know. I'm not like, biting my nails. Right. You know, so I was like, I don't know, get it. And then I, it's only like, as I got older, I realized it's, the book doesn't change, but you, you do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. And I mean, Absolutely. so like a story like, you know, this Abraham's sort of, you know, near sacrifice of Isaac is a good example of that. Cause that's like a story that it means something really different when you read it as a child versus mm-hmm. when you read it as an adult mm-hmm. or when you read it as a parent. Um, and, you know, we're depending on where you are in your life. It, it means different things each time. So, I mean, that idea that, you know, the book doesn't, there's something that's constant, but that everything around it changes was something that was interesting to me in creating this character. Yeah, absolutely. Let me, let me kind of riff off of that a little bit because there was, again, not, I don't want to give things away, but like um, there were, uh, when they were interacting with the Torah scrolls, there, there might have been some things that just got changed. Yes. <laughs> um, and yes. you, and you think like, um, you know, when you're, when you're interacting with the Torah scrolls, you're thinking like, this is, these are the words that have been the same words since they've been laid down. And then you're, uh, then you're like, wait, hold on. Of course things got like messed up or changed or, you know, so I was wondering, like, I know this is sort of your area of study. Like, do you have any knowledge of that sort of taking place where like they can see where that happened and um, maybe things aren't as, you know, set as um and unchangeable as we thought that they were yes okay so um so in the story the rachel the main character's father is a scribe Mm. and so it's his job to copy over all these scrolls right and i mean he's writing a lot of other things too um and i I have a scene, yeah, there's a scene in, um, I mean, this isn't giving too much away, it says very early on in the book, but there's a scene where he edits exactly that story about Abraham and mm-hmm, Isaac, mm-hmm. and, you know, the, he makes one very small change, mm-hmm. which is, right, in the line, you yeah. know, this is when Abraham's told by God to sacrifice his son Isaac, and, you know, he binds him on the altar, and he puts out his hand to, you know, to slaughter his son, mm-hmm. and then, of course, the next line is that an angel of the Lord comes to him and says, tells him to stop, mm-hmm. Um and of course, in between those two sentences, in between when Abraham stretches out his hand with his knife to slaughter his son and the sentence, the angel of the Lord came, in between those two sentences, her father inserts the line, and then he turned the knife to his right. own throat, mm-hmm. right? right? And then right. I have, Rachel sees this, she's delivering the scroll to a, a you know, someone who's ordered it for, for themselves, you know, who's ordered it for uh, religious purposes, and she erases this line. She puts, spills some water on it so the ink <laughs> right. dissolves, and, you know, and she's, somebody asks her about this, and she says, you know, I feel like, I like the story the other way. Like, <laughs> parents have done enough for their kids. Like, they don't need to. Like, like how much are we really asking here for parents to do? Like, it's a little bit too much. So, you know, and I guess the 
it's true that so in in terms of like my my field of expertise, I should specify it's not ancient, it's not biblical literature. I have uh, Yiddish and Hebrew literature, mm-hmm. modern Yiddish and Hebrew literature is my okay. is my area of expertise. I do know a lot about ancient Hebrew sources because you know in order to understand modern Hebrew sources, you have to understand mm-hmm. ancient Hebrew sources, and I also know about them from my my religious life. Um, but I'm not I'm by no means an expert in <laughs> you know bib- biblical scholarship, and I mean obviously there are people who devote their whole careers to figuring out you know what the dating is of various documents mm. and how they changed and evolved. And I mean, I think there's, but I think, I mean, there's, to, there's no question that these texts evolved over time. Mm. I mean, that's, doesn't, I mean, a religious view would say that, you know, these texts are given by God. Um, but what's interesting to me is that no matter, I mean, you're just pushing back the problem, right? So, I mean, you could say that this text was the way it is, or you could say, this text was written by many people, but then someone else, someone still had to make a decision about editing it, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, there, you still have a canonical version of a text that somebody thought was, this is a completed text, right? So, yeah. I mean, to say, so to say that like, oh, it's incoherent, it has all these, well, somebody thought it was coherent, right? So, <laughs> you know, and, and probably, you know, more than one person made a decision, <laughs> right. a very conscious decision that this was coherent. So what I think is really interesting, though, about these, the biblical texts and um, is is exactly the contradictions, right? And that's something that, that my that Rachel, the main character, says in the book is that, you know, she that's why she erases this line that her father put in it. And she sort of, you know, says, Oh, parents have done enough, but it's also like she wants to keep the contradictions in the text. Mm. She wants it to stay um confusing and ambiguous, right? Because she thinks she sees that as more honest. Right. And yeah. the question that, that's the questions are where it's at. So exactly. Yeah, yeah. Right. And, and, and this is actually something that this idea um, I took, there's a very uh, um, s- uh, important story in the Talmud um, where there are two rabbis arguing over the meaning of a particular law. And one rabbi says, you know, oh, if I'm right, let the tree outside walk 10 paces and it does. And then this other rabbi says, you know, well, trees, walking trees don't prove anything. Right. <laughs> and then, you know, and then he says, oh, if I'm right, let the, he, you know, let the aqueduct outside flow backwards and it does. I mean all these miracles mm-hmm. keep happening too and the other rabbi keeps saying you know this is ridiculous like you know <laughs> these natural you know like a tree and an aqueduct and all these things like what does that prove about the text and then he finally answers and and at the end of this argument this other rabbi who's opposed to these miracles quotes the um the text of Deuteronomy where it says it is not in heaven in other words that the Torah the text of the Torah is not in heaven mm-hmm. it is with you and this is a very important idea in Judaism because it's saying, you know, if if we believe that these texts are divine or divinely inspired or whatever you want to say, that these texts are perfect, then, you know, God can't come down and create some miracle to tell us what mm. it quote really means mm-hmm. because that would imply that the text wasn't perfect to begin with, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. So in a sense, what we have to do is accept all the contradictions in the story, that those contradictions are part of the story and that they're there in in some sense intentionally, whether intentionally by whoever wrote it or intentionally by whoever edited it to keep generating questions. Right. And so that's, you know, and that's something that I think about in, in my own novels as well, which, you know, I am aware are not going to be discussed nearly as much as biblical texts, but you know, there's <laughs> know there a lot of, well, yeah, <laughs> I, I think we know that. Um, but you know, there's, there's some, you know, there I'm interested in points in, in stories, whether my own or other people's, that invite 
many interpretations. Mm. Like I'm interested in the kind of stories that when you read it when you're 20 and when you read it when you're 40, don't feel the same. And I think that's true for any really except that to me that's a mark of a meaningful story is that it means different things to different people or to the same person at different times in their life yeah absolutely um i have i have a question in that uh so to that yeah yeah, i am um i'm not i'm not jewish and i'm not religious and i have no knowledge of um really any texts (laughs) but uh but um i was wondering how you balanced uh, when you're writing these books or when you're writing this book, how do you balance um, kind of keeping both audiences involved, um, like an audience that has extensive um, yeah, historical so like knowledge? I, have, I am Jewish and I have a lot more yeah. knowledge about that. So yeah. I read it a little differently. Right. But. Absolutely. But I still I mean, but you can still get so much out of the story, even like while you're you're learning with the story. But I was wondering how you kind of balance um, making it a rich experience for someone who already has the knowledge while also, you know, not not losing the ignorant person or, <laughs> you know, or or and not being too. Um, what's the I don't know. Word? I think it's I mean, just like I I like that you had a great experience with the book and I had a great experience with the book mm-hmm. and I had this. I had these layers mm-hmm. and you had different layers. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. Yeah. So how does, I mean, do you, do you feel like that ha- is a, like a Jewish, like has anything to do with it being Jewish stuff or is it just any book should be like that? Well, I think any book should be like that, right? I mean, literature is about communication, right? So if I am writing a story, I am inviting you into a world, mm. right? And, you know, I am going to, I'm going to give you what you need to what you need to be part of that world, but I'm inviting you into that world, right? So that means I'm not going to like stand there, like you know, if I invite you, it's like if you're invited to a dinner party, and I'm, I spent a year at Cambridge University in England. I remember once being invited to dine at high table. It's like this Harry <laughs> Potter thing, where you're like, and I the had the uh, oh gosh, I don't remember what the guy was called. The master of the college like sits like in a throne, and you sit down at the table. There's like 900 forks and spoons, and they're uh, serving all different. Yeah. Like it's like this ridiculous. I mean, to me at least, you know, growing up in suburban New Jersey, I was like, I, I, I don't know what, what is fork all this? to use. Uh-huh. Right, I don't know what fork to use. But you know, so you're there. But like, I you know I'm looking at other people i'm like oh we're using this fork now okay you know and they bring you know and then they bring like a bowl of water and i'm like oh, i wonder why there's this bowl <laughs> right. of water and then i see people like dipping Dip their it. fingers in yeah. i'm like it's a finger Ooh. bowl i'm like okay <laughs> here i am dipping my yeah so it's like you know i didn't know about that before you know but like now i've had this experience and mm. it's like i've been invited you know and nobody like gave me like a little you know list of footnotes being like you know mm. here's where this fork goes what right so i mean but i was still able to participate in that experience it may have meant something different to me than it meant to right. the person who does that every week right right um yeah. but i still like you know i felt like this invitation into a world so with all of my books i'm inviting readers into a world and so i'm i'm providing all the forks that they need mm. right i mean and what i mean by that is you know you know there the aspects of the story that are important like you know i explained that there's you know what what is the meaning of this ancient temple in jerusalem like mm-hmm. and how central that was to um to the jewish religion at um in ancient times so like that's something that like you're not going to miss that if you're reading the book mm-hmm. right I right. Mean, yeah right i mean that's and and i don't do it by i don't do it by having a big paragraph being like this built right. temple was built right. at this right. time and it was a center of religious life yeah. i have it you know you meet Just, characters yeah, who you are feel involved the in this life right. and you're mm-hmm. you're welcomed into that world mm-hmm. so um 
you know, so that that's always been very important to me is to not, you know, because sometimes you do read books where it's like, you know, written in this anthropological way where it's like about zoo animals. And, you know, I'm not I'm not really that I, I put on, I, you know, I prefer what I prefer is to, you know, invite people in and, you know, might there be some details that, you know, one reader will notice and another reader mm-hmm. won't. Sure. But I think that's true not just from the religious That's point an, of view, but from any uh, yeah. point of view, right? I mean, there are things that a, a male reader or, or a female reader would get right, read right. differently in this book. There are things that a, a, a reader who has children versus a reader who doesn't will read mm-hmm. differently in this book, right? I mean, there's so many, I mean, the reality is like, you know, when you write a book, it's like you write one book, but everybody who's reading that book is reading a different book from the book you yeah. wrote, which is not a bad thing because they're often reading a better book than the book you wrote. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about that. But yeah, nice. yeah, yeah. You've talked about before um, not wanting to romanticize um, or sentimentalize is not, I don't know if yeah. that's a word, but you know, uh, the Jewish past and just kind of look at Jewish lives. And, um, and I was wondering what other um, authors you'd recommend Okay, so you're, do you mean like in general, like in the vast history of Jewish literature? No, like, you mean like contemporary. Contemporary yeah, people yeah. writing now? Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so, um, well, a person who was very uh, influential to me personally was Cynthia Ozick, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. who, because, um, you know, when I was started, you know, reading seriously as a teenager, I sort of remember thinking like, I was really just interested in the intersection between literature and belief. And, Mm. you know, in literature and religion. And one of the things that, um, you know, and not really understanding how to articulate that when I was like 14, I was sort of like, I guess I'm interested in Jewish literature. And like, Mm. you know, when you say that, and it's like, you live in New Jersey, and it's like 1990, someone hands you a book by Philip Roth. Uh, (laughs) And I'm just like, you know, that was like, not what I had in mind. Um, You know, so, um, you know, but what so what was, I mean, you know, I nothing against Philip Roth, but you know, sort of not. We're not interested in the same questions. Right, yeah. um, the thing about Cynthia Ozick um, is, you know, sh- it was amazing to me when I first read her work because it was like, oh my God, you're allowed to do that. Mm. Like you can write about like you know, serious literature, serious philosophical, you know, spiritual questions in a contemporary context. Mm-hmm. Like I had no idea that you were allowed to do that. Yeah, that's yeah. so cool. You're allowed to do that. So that's, that was something that was like influential to me. Um, another, I would not a writer, but really more a book that was influential to me is, um, and I realize this is not quite your question, but um, was, but these are people who are alive now and writing yeah, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. is um, uh, A.B. Hoshua, the Israeli novelist who he had a book that, it came out a long time ago. I mean, I read it, you know, it's, I think it was published in Hebrew in 1989 and it, it, it came out in English a few years later. It's called um, Mr. Mani. This is like an amazing book where you, it's about five generations of a Jerusalem family uh-huh. traced through what I'll call at first and moves backwards in time. It starts uh-huh. in what was contemporary. It starts like in the late eighties uh-huh. and then it goes back to like the mid 19th uh-huh. century. Yeah. And it is amazing. And it's about five generations of this family that has been passing down a suicidal gene. Holy. It's astonishing. And just like the <laughs> way he writes it. I mean, he doesn't, you never hear it's, it's told from the point of view of people who happen to encounter members of this family, you know, oh, like it's man. not even told yeah. by them. Yeah. It's told by people who don't even appreciate what they're seeing Holy cow. and, you know, and, and the patterns and only you as the reader uncover it. It's an amazing, that I mean, it's like a mind blowing book. Yeah. yeah. So, um, so other writers who are writing now that I appreciate. So yeah, I read a lot of Israeli literature. Mm. Um, another writer I love is Mayor Shalev. Um, 
get a book called Blue Mountain, which is like a, it's like, it's similar like that. It's like many generations of an Israeli family. You see, like, I have a pattern of something. <laughs> <laughs> I like these people who go back in time. Yeah. Um, yeah. I read a book recently that I loved. Oh, oh, so another, a book that I loved that was about, that was also about ancient Jerusalem during the revolt against Rome was Naomi Alderman. So she's a contemporary Jewish writer writing in English. Uh-huh. Yeah. She wrote The Power. Oh my yeah. gosh, it's The like, Power is awesome. Oh, I love that book. Oh my we can't stop talking about that book. Yeah, yeah, we cannot. Completely love that book. Um, But what's amazing, she wrote another book before that that, like, I feel like she just just wrote, she wrote a lot of books, before, uh, several books before that, but the one that she wrote that was, like, for me personally, she wrote a book called The Liar's Gospel, which Mm. is, this is going to sound awful when I say it, but it was amazing, at least for me, it's a Jewish novel about Jesus, (laughs) which, you know, sounds terrible. It's amazing. Oh my God, it's amazing. She takes you back. It's so like a lot of what, like writing, she was the person, like I read that book before I started writing this book and I was like, Mm. oh my God, you can write about ancient, you know, Jerusalem and Mm. the temple and make it feel alive and not feel like, you know, a virgin Mm. ivory production. Like she really puts you there and it's amazing. And she like, it's the story is told. It's in other words, it's, it's telling the story of Jesus, but from different people in his life. And she restores Mm -hmm. all of their Hebrew names to them. Uh Um, So it's Yoshua, it's Yehuda, Mikariot, it's Judas Iscariot. Uh So, Uh you know, she, and she tells the story from all these different points of view. And it's just like, it's just brilliant what she does. I just, I love her. Um, So she's a person I really admire. Um, Putting that on hold right now yeah (laughs) yes yes so that's the liar's gospel it's very different from the power i mean you're like it's well right where you're like except well but structurally it's similar in that she takes like four or five characters and tells like a dramatic world-changing story through it so actually now that i think about it it's actually kind of the same (laughs) (laughs) set two thousand years ago instead of like you know 500 years a thousand years from now right right yeah so that was really awesome book that i loved um orly costel bloom is another Israeli writer that I love. So um, she had a book called The Egyptian Novel, uh, which it's so weird because you read that book and it starts out being just about this dysfunctional Israeli family. And you're like, okay, dysfunctional Israeli family, blah, blah, the divorce and the blah. And then she just drops this line in there where it's like, you know, and there was an eating disorder in the family that went back to the expulsion from Spain. And then suddenly, like about 70 pages in, you're in medieval Spain. And I'm like, wait, wait, what? what? And, and it's like, wait, what happened? And it's like, and it's this Jewish family that they fake convert so that they don't have to be expelled. Oh my God. And, you know, because of the Inquisition. Mm-hmm. And then they're pretending to not be Jewish. And like how, you know, and the, basically they end up like selling off one of their daughters to like cover for their death. And then like, it's, it's you're there with them for like 40 pages. And then all of a sudden, then you're back in the, you know dysfunctional Israeli family but you're like wait and wait and suddenly like it it means something totally different than what it meant before and you know she doesn't like you know I'm like I like him writing in a much less sophisticated way I'm like connecting the dots for you I made this into like one person right you know she's like you know operating on a different plane so anyway a few people that I (laughs) that's wonderful yeah that's nice I was just thinking I wonder how Rachel would deal with if she encountered the power like if we (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> if we're pushing her timeline, well, she'll be like, there. yeah, she'll, exactly. She'll, she'll I know, I know. Happens, yeah, yeah, yeah. Happens. yeah. I think, uh, yeah, I would oh, like yeah, to, we, yeah. I would like to see the, that. Well, she's on the way, right? I mean, from her point of view, yeah, it's kind of happening, right? That, like, exactly. You know, she suddenly enters this 21st century where like women God. are allowed to have lives, yeah, exactly. Yeah, right. So for her, I mean, like, you she's know, like, yeah, of course, yeah, we can electrocute things, yeah. No, but my point is that that's as 
dramatic. Exactly. Yeah. Like as the yeah. power is you know, right. for anyone who hasn't read the power, it's right. about this sort of like world where there's this you know women become the dominant yeah. gender yeah. and you know. Yeah, so, we did yeah. a we did a podcast oh, on it because we just sure. blew that, our mind. Amazing. Yeah, I'm gonna get every book club so to read it. Yeah, yep. it's amazing. Okay, well then let me. I'll, I'll wrap up unless there's anything else you want to talk about. But I I want to wrap up with just like what what's on your nightstand right now? What are you reading right now? What am I reading right now? Mm-hmm. Um, what am I reading right now? I just um, I read the I'm reading right now. I'm in the middle of um, the Monsters of Templeton by Lauren Groff, um, okay. which came out like ten years ago, right? So I mean, yeah, you know, before, I'm, yeah. I'm late. I'm very late to the party, but also another multi generational novel <laughs> about a place <laughs> and how, how something you know, sort of like these you know, uh, you know, uh, tragedies travel through families. Yeah. And uh, you see, I have a I have a pattern here. <laughs> I think yeah. Um, so that's that's something that I, I recently loved. Oh, a yeah. book I really loved recently that also was an old book, but I think was reissued recently in English. It was a novel called The Door by um, Magda Zsabo. I'm probably pronouncing that oh, wrong. She's I've a Hungarian writer. Shelved that one. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, I love that book so much. So it's about a writer writers who write about writers. So I'm not really <laughs> crazy about that, but I'll take it. It's about a writer who hires a housekeeper. And who's like, there's very different social classes and, you know, this social and, and this woman basically starts manipulating her and like, kind of like redirecting the course of her life. Not in a good way. Oh yeah, sure. And, and so this book is, and it's taking place in Budapest in like, um, I think like in the fifties or maybe the fifties or sixties with World War II, like still in living memory. Mm. And it basically turns out that this woman has the whole everybody in this neighborhood like knows this woman like has some terrible <laughs> secret involving what happened to her and her Jewish employers during the war, but it is ex- completely not the, the secret that everyone thinks it is. Mm. And it's like amazing when you read this. And what's amazing is just the way she renders this relationship between these two women. Yeah. Um. You know, which is like this kind of like you know, where's this this like this woman who's got this, you know, uh, super educated and this woman who's like this, basically a peasant. Mm -hmm. Um, but this, the way that the superiority and inferiority that they feel toward each other and the sort of like threat that they both feel from each other. And, um, you know, their whole relationship is based on the, their inequality. And so, and, and not just inequality, like it turns out to be like, a you know, a spiritual inequality and a moral inequality and like in so many different ways. It's just, it's just amazing. And like, that makes it sound like some kind of moral parable. That's not what it is at all. Like it really is like this very beautifully rendered and it's from the writer, the woman writer's point of view about Mm. her relationship with this woman. And it's like, it's just amazing. Anyway, that was something I, I, I just finished about maybe a month or two ago. That That's I wonderful. Loved. Yeah. I've read some other books that I haven't loved, but I won't tell you what they're <laughs> That's very kind of you. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Always choose kind, right? Yes. Um, oh, well, okay. Well, this was incredible. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much. This was so oh, it's been wonderful. fun for me too. Thank you. Yes. Thank you. We, we will be shoving this book into everybody's hands mm-hmm. because oh, eternal you. life is just, it's so amazing. I know. Amazing. I think this would be an amazing book. Well, and I'm like, from a, I'm a book club junkie. Yeah. I run several of them here. And so I'm like, I'm always like, oh, yes, this is discussable. This is where we can go with this. Yeah. Yeah. This, so. is, this would be an amazing right, the yeah. book. Yeah. That is, right. The we, book that's different from different readers' points of view. Yes. Mm-hmm. And we didn't, oh, yes. we didn't even get into her relationship with Hannah. Okay. That would be another <laughs> I, be another interview. I would like to just talk or about that. Or even just so. the relationship with this man. Because I've had readers <sighs> who are like, 
to me, this is like, it's an epic tale of stalking, but there have been readers who have been like, this is a beautiful this is love story. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Which, well, that's not how I saw it, oh but my I mean, it's there. But, it yeah, is there. Yeah, and we are trained to think that, you know, pursuit, consistent is, pursuit. Is romantic. And, yeah, is romantic. Yeah, yeah yes. exactly. Yeah. Yes. Oy. Okay, no. yeah. <laughs> well, again. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for being here with us. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for having me. All right. Yeah. Enjoy the rest of your day. Oh, thanks, you too. Thanks, Bye-bye. Mike. So that was pretty incredible. That was amazing. That was pretty incredible. I want to be best friends with her and hang out with her all the time. I do too. I don't think I'm smart enough. But I, I but that's the thing I liked about her. Well, yeah, she I, doesn't make me feel not smart right. enough. I just I've hung out with smart people who make you feel not smart. <laughs> oh yeah, not me. Uh, I mean, <laughs> I mean, uh, you're one of those people. I just like to use big grad school words. Yeah, but um, I have not. I mean, it's it takes a special talent to like be really brilliant and also just be a regular person and accessible. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, which uh, yeah, I think that that goes for her for eternal life too. It's just it's brilliant, but also accessible. Yes. So. Oh, Ta-da! very good. Anyways, I loved that book, and I did take her. Uh, recommendation, and I have um, the Liar's Gospel, oh, uh, Naomi Alderman, sitting on my nightstand right now. Oh, good. Good, So good, good. I will be digging into that this weekend. I'm excited. Yeah, mm-hmm. I love that she pointed out, like, the themes and what she liked. Uh, I, th- I think maybe I need to analyze my own favorite books and be like, is this what, – what are the different themes? Like, how does this all carry across each other? But – Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, uh, well, you're welcome, everyone, because yeah. – <laughs> So, and we do want to mention that, mm-hmm. you know, that she was so generous with her time that we talked for a, quite a long time. So we did, um, we did take out some of the content, but we are working on making sure that Fingers you can yeah, hear some. the whole thing in some bonus content. So um, we will, yeah, we're, we're hoping that. Um, our genius production manager, Jim. No pressure, Jim. No pressure, Jim. Yeah. Can get that uh, put together for us and have a way for you to listen to that bonus yeah. content. Awesome. So. Well, uh, happy reading. Happy reading. That's it for this edition of the Book Squad podcast. For more details on any of the books or events mentioned in this episode, visit our website, lplks.org. Don't miss an episode. Subscribe. Please rate or comment. It helps others find the podcast. Our Book Squad librarians are Polly Kinn and Kate Gramlich. Our theme music is by Heidi Lynn Bluke. I'm Jim Barnes, and this has been a production of the Lawrence Public Library.